0: The mortgage industry never stays still. With interest rates moving, companies changing, and regulation increasing, there's always another story. This is The Principle, where we break it down daily and take a deeper dive into the issues. I'm Christine Stewart, Editorial Director for the Mortgage News Network. Let's pay it down. But first, a word from our sponsors. Mortgage Women Magazine. It's where women's voices are heard. Find it free at www.mortgagewomenmagazine.com. America is a melting pot, and home buyers are becoming more diverse. So it's no surprise that the mortgage industry is drawing in immigrants who want to take a chance on their future. Welcome to The Principal, I'm Sarah Wolak, staff writer for National Mortgage Professional. I sat down with Andres Munar from Colab Lending to talk about his experience breaking into the mortgage industry as an immigrant. So basically what we'll be talking about today, I know I was a little vague over email, is um, I'm doing a story on immigrants in the mortgage industry and basically want to tell their stories. Um so said that you have a great story. And not only that, I just wanted to connect with some of you guys that why you gravitated towards the industry, because it is not only an industry where a lot of immigrants have um, you know, joined into, but a lot where they have found success. So I'm here to like tell success stories, et cetera. So yeah, I'm just hoping we have like a conversation about that. You can literally just like start talking about like go on a tangent about your life and growing up. I really just want to hear about how you ended up um, to what you do today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'll kind of tell you a little bit about my story and then um, you just feel free to jump in and, and let me know any questions that you have. Um, so my parents were born in Bogota, Colombia, and when I was four years old, my parents decided to chase the American dream. So, uh, my dad is a horse jockey and he got an opportunity to move to Florida. And so of course, just like everybody else, they're looking to chase that American dream. They hear, you know, that America is the greatest country in the world. So my parents decided to go ahead and make the jump. Um, and at four years old here, we were in the United States. Um, and then growing up, my dad, um, did pretty well as a horse jockey, um, didn't speak English very well because, uh, in the horse industry, um, they just all speak Spanish. So, um, and I grew up, uh, around horses and really I grew up in, in a single wide trailer for most of my life, I would say up until, um, I was about 12 years old and, uh, I remember when my parents bought, um, they bought a house and we moved from a single white trailer to a home and that feeling of like, I have a home, you know, as, as an immigrant, as, you know, growing up in in middle school, like, you know, I grew up around people who, you know, they were middle-class to upper-class. Um, and so I'd always be embarrassed to like have my friends come over, um, Because we lived in a single wide trailer. And when my parents bought a home, I felt like I was starting to finally feel that sense of like we made it, you know? Um, And uh, so I remember that moment very well. I also remember when, um, you know, my parents went through some struggles. Uh, My dad was an alcoholic um, and we had to sell the house um, because we lost everything. And at 16 years old, I was the one who had to contact the real estate agent because my parents didn't speak english very well um and so i I really remember those two those two moments in my life very vividly um i also when i about a week before i turned 16 i actually got a job at perkins which was right down the street um, as a server i literally went in and i just handed the lady the application and um, I'll be honest with you, they were pretty desperate for workers. So she just hired me on the spot. Um, and it happened to be a lot of friends from high school work there too. Um, and so that's where I got my start in the service industry. Um, I quickly, quickly fell in love with, um, the service industry and the restaurant industry. I love the fast pace. I loved the craziness. I love the hustle and the bustle. Of course, I love the tips as well. Um, but that's really where I fell in love with, um, With almost people pleasing. You know, it was like my, I don't wanna say my worth, but it was like the better of a job I did, like the more people were gonna tip me and they were gonna like me. And then I got repeat customers. um, And I really fell in love with that. So uh, I graduated high school and I decided to go to Pennsylvania Culinary um, because I thought that I wanted to own a restaurant, I wanted to manage a restaurant. um, And so that's where I graduated from. I graduated from Pennsylvania Culinary and then um i did that for a while um bartended served managed um i actually went back and i managed the restaurant where um where i first got my job at and then um so i graduated high school in 2002 i graduated pennsylvania culinary um in 2003 because it was only an 18-month program so i have an associates in hotel restaurant management um and then in 2003 In December of 2005, I had met um, a gentleman by the name of Brian Bender, and um, we kind of basically fell in love. So I, um, I was living in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania at the time, And Brian was living in State College, Pennsylvania, which is also known as Penn State University. People are like, where is State College? I'm like, Penn State University. And then people go, oh, yeah, 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 of course. Um, So in 2005, in December of 2005, I moved to to Penn State. And uh, my partner at the time, Brian, was a real estate agent. And obviously, that was, you know, like three years before the mortgage crash. Um, So he was doing really well. He had friends in the industry and um the spring of 2006 one of his mortgage broker friends said hey um i'm looking for an assistant um you know w- would you be interested in being my assistant and i was like i you know i mean you you always think in your head you want that 9 to 5 lifestyle like you want to be behind the computer um and so i was like i don't know anything about mortgages but you know a 9 to 5 sounds amazing. Um, So I took on the job. And I can also really vividly remember my first week at the job. I absolutely fell in love with it. Like our phones were ringing off the hook. Fax machines were still in use back then. So we would have to like fax all of the paperwork to the lenders. We would get approvals back from the lenders via fax. We would get clear to closes via fax. Um, Our emails were going off. Like it was almost the same hustle and bustle as the restaurant industry, just in a completely different environment. Um, and I caught on very, very quickly because, again, there there became a very fascinating aspect of like helping somebody get into a home. At the same time, there was still that craziness of like your phone drinking the fax machines going off your emails going off you got to like multitask and you got to do all these things but it was more of a professional environment um and so that was spring of 2006 and like i said my partner at the time was a real estate agent um and then i realized that the person i was working for was taking all of the commissions from the the transactions of my partner because i was just an assistant so did you get Um, something (laughs) I just got an hourly, you know, an hourly rate. Um, and so I was like, you know, if my partner is sending in all this business, then I'm just going to become a loan officer. Like that's, that's what makes sense. Um, so about a year later, I did decide to go off on my own, um, and become, um, and become a loan officer, so in two thousand and seven is really where my journey started. Um, I became a loan officer in two thousand and seven um and then I've worked for various mortgage brokers since then, so I've been in the industry for seventeen years. out of those seventeen years, I've been a mortgage broker for sixteen um I've worked retail for one year um, in two thousand and fourteen um you know, they always say, uh, they always say, um, you know, so I've been in the industry since 2006, um, but I'm gonna honestly say that it wasn't probably until 2012 that I really figured out the industry. Um, I used to really sit back behind my desk, wait for the phone to ring. And in 2012 is when I kind of started to understand. I mean, I was pretty young when I got started. I was like twenty three or twenty four. So by 2012, I was a little more mature and I started realizing like I have to network. I have to go out and do presentations. and I just feel very lucky that I fell into an industry that I completely love and that I completely had a passion for. So when I started going out and doing presentations and networking, um, people could really see my passion. So in 2012, when I started doing that, my business really just took off um, and I was working for a mortgage broker at that time. Um, 2014 came. And I said um, to the broker I was working with, Hey, I'm bringing in about 90% of the business into this brokerage. Um, You know, can I get a bigger split? Um, And he said, no. And at that time I had one assistant that I was paying for out of my own commissions, which I was totally okay with because I understood that like I needed an assistant to go out and make more money. So like I had no problem with that. But um, at that point is when I realized like, I really want to go off on my own, start my own company. So in 2014, I opened up my own company. It was called Lunar Mortgage and um, did really well. Um, And and then in 2016, um, I'm sorry, so that was 2014. In 2015, I knew that I wanted to get even better. Um, And I joined a coaching group. Um, and there I met somebody by the name of Megan Marsh. Um, she was on the opposite side of Pennsylvania. Um, and, uh, in 2016, her and I decided to join forces and, um, I mean, two heads are better than one. So that was 2016. Um, and we went from Lunar Mortgage LLC to we did a DBA calling it uh, Keystone Alliance Mortgage. Um, And in 2017, our business just absolutely exploded. Um, We did about 500 transactions just between her and I. And we were noticed by a retail lender um, and that retail lender they they courted us for about six months and we finally gave it, gave in. Um, so 2018, we then went off to um, to this retail lender and that only lasted 11 months. By the end of 2018, we decided that um, being a broker and going back to doing what we wanted to do um, is what we did. So in 2019, we opened back up, um, but we actually opened back up as Collab Lending. Um, And now we're up to about 35 team members. Um, So if you remember in 2017, Megan and I did all the business, we decided we wanted to do it a little bit differently. So in 2019, um, we hired on a bunch of loan officers, um, we really decided that we wanted to get some green people into the industry, um, and we wanted to also diversify what we're doing. So we are about to launch um, a mortgage broker fast track, which is a course um, of how to how you can open up your mortgage broker um, company. We're about to launch a franchise as well. Um and then I think one of the things that I really didn't mention, and I'm not sure how you want to fit all of this in here, um, is that in about the sixth grade, um, we, my, mom was dri- my mom and I were driving to Philadelphia with some man to the immigration office. And I mean, when you're in the sixth grade, you're pretty, you're pretty savvy to the world. And I started realizing that I had no legal status in this country. Um, So that was sixth grade. Um, So I am a DACA recipient. Um, My parents decided to, um, my parents were working on getting their, their, their citizenship um, fixed while they were in Florida. Somebody stole their passports. So they no longer had that stamp that showed that they came into the country legally. And back then, things weren't tracked electronically. So it's not like you know, it's not like when we came into the country in nineteen eighty eight that there was a computer system that said, "Oh yeah, the the Munars came to this country legally." Like there was no way to look that up. So when somebody stole my parents' passports, my parents either had to make the decision to either go back to Colombia, or stay in the country and figure it out. And my parents decided to stay in the country. Um so uh my parent, my mother and my father have both fixed um their paperwork. Um and I am still a DACA recipient. Um I haven't been able to fix my uh my citizenship situation. So I am a DACA recipient. Um so yeah that's a little bit about me in a nutshell.
0: Perfect. One, I have a few follow up questions. You probably saw me doodling around. Um, when you guys came here, you said 1988. Where Where did you guys settle? Was it in Pennsylvania or? It was in Miami. Oh, you went to Miami. Yes. How'd you like growing up in Miami? My best friend <laughs> there.
1: Um, I mean, honestly, I think that that's probably why I ended up in in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Um, I'm I'm a total beach bum. I love the sun. Um. Yeah, I love this like fast this just this type of culture. So
0: And what about your, and I'm assuming ex-partner's job um is gravitated you besides, you know, him probably having like an influence. What about like just the real estate um company made you really want to get into it and like abandon? Well, not abandon, but you know, transition from serving to the market.
1: Yeah, there was just um you know, I heard him talking to clients and I just thought it was really neat that you could guide people through such an important process because I can remember back with my parents when, you know, we bought that home. And I know what that feeling was like when I finally got a home. Um, I'm also the vice chair of the Hispanic ownership committee at AIM. Um, and so that's something really that, um, that we're working on is, for loan officers to understand the impact that they have in underserved communities. Um, and sometimes we have to put our bias aside. So for instance, and, and you know, I, I don't mind talking about it because I know that it's out there. Um, I, I just spoke at the conference, like when a Hispanic borrower calls you, sometimes you have that bias of, well, this is only going to be a $50,000 loan amount, or they probably work at McDonald's, like this isn't going to be worth my time. but. I don't think that people understand the true impact that that has on that family. Um, and what that does spiraling for their generational wealth. If, if all we do is have that bias, you're never going to give that family that opportunity to break generational wealth. You're never going to give those kids an opportunity to have that mindset of if my parents did it, I can do it too. Um, and so, you know, that's, Looking back on it, there was just something really special about being able to help people get into a home of like, this is my home. This is where I can lay my head at night. This is where I feel safe. Are we moving from apartment to apartment to apartment constantly? And it's like, no, because this is my home now, you know, and if it's one thing you can give a kid, it's, it's a safe space, especially, uh, you know, those underserved communities.
0: And just for speaking from your experience of growing up in the States as an immigrant and then seeing your parents as immigrants find job in the States, what kind of opportunities do you think that this industry in particular has for not only immigrants, but also underserved um, people?
1: Yeah, there is, and, and we're seeing it right now, there is such a huge, huge like gap between Black home Hispanic homeownership, and white ownership, right? Um, and so there's a huge... And, and there's a lot of other um, underserved communities too, right? Women, gay other races, other ethnicities, so on and so forth. And so, um, this, uh, this industry really provides that opportunity for you to be that voice for them when other, when they don't have that voice or they don't understand the process, especially like Hispanic people, like nobody's really putting material out there in Spanish for them to understand it. And so many people think that you need 20% down and it's like, Nobody's directly focusing on the Hispanic or underserved. Let's just call it on those underserved communities to sit down and help them understand like the basics of like, hey, let's help you work on credit. Let's help you work on, you know, on saving up a small down payment, which is only three and a half percent down for FHA, right? And so when somebody like myself or a Black person or a gay person or a female or of a different race, when you can be that voice and that face, because people like, I would say most people like to do with business that with somebody that they can either a relate to, right. That's usually the case. Like, Hey, I'm going to go to this person. I really relate to them. I see them like myself or somebody that's really willing to just help and guide and educate people. Um, because I mean, I work with all different types of clientele and sometimes it's just the way that you speak to them of like, let me, like, I'm here to help you and guide you. I'm not here to make a commission check and a transaction. Like, um, and so there's a huge, huge opportunity for people who truly want to serve, who truly have a passion, um, and who truly just want, want to help people become homeowners and like, and, and shorten that, that generational wealth gap that, that's out there.
0: I completely agree. I just, I did a story a few months ago on um, a Spanish loan application platform and basically regurgitating exactly what you said. There is like an underserved community and there's barriers. And it's important that we have people who know how to speak Spanish and know how to not just speak basic Spanish, but other influxes to convey to these people, like I'm here to teach you. I'm not here to try to make this barrier for you. Yep,
1: absolutely.
0: I think that was it. Is there anything else that you wanted to add about either being an immigrant in the industry that you felt was important that I didn't talk about?
1: Um, no, I think that we've covered a, a lot. I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I'm really focusing on right now and on the industry and on loan officers is just, you know, what is the impact that you're making on this industry um, by helping those underserved and and kind of pushing down your bias. So that's really my big thing right now is, um, you know, let's not try to be biased. Let's try to help homeowners. Let's let's make homeownership a reality for everybody. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you go home, it's like, what impact did you have today on the industry?
0: Right. That's a lovely philosophy to have. Thank you so much for uh, yeah. with me today. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Sarah, if you need anything else, let me know. Thank you so much for your time today.
0: We'll be right back with the rest of your headlines after a word from our sponsors. The Originator Connect Network, the nation's largest producer of mortgage events, is about fostering a community founded on professionalism, collaboration, and personal and professional growth, connecting you to the story of your success. Welcome back. Here are the rest of your headlines for today, February 7th. California-based RMK Financial Corporation shuttered their doors at the tail end of January. The wholesale lender had been doing business as majestic home loan. Employees via social media suggested a legacy issue with the company. The employees didn't elaborate on what that might be. And so far, we have not been able to reach company officials for comment. The Mortgage Bankers Association is again raising concerns about changes to the single-family pricing framework for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that were announced last month by the FHFA. In a letter to the FHFA, The NBA expressed concerns about Fannie and Freddie's debt-to-income ratio loan-level price adjustments that are set to hit in May. The NBA critiqued the FHFA's poor timing of this announcement and cited current affordability challenges as a reason. And finally, United Wholesale Mortgage CEO Matt Ishbia is now an NBA owner. The NBA's Board of Governors has approved the deal to sell a 50% stake in the Phoenix Suns and their WNBA counterpart, the Mercury, to a group led by Ishbia. 29 teams approved the deal. The only holdout? Cleveland Cavaliers owner and Rocket co-founder Dan Gilbert. This has been The Principal, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All podcasts are produced by TG Cutampereau, Matthew Mullins, and Sarah Woolock. Mike Savino is head of multimedia, and Christine Stewart is editorial director. The opening theme was Status by Jamie Bathgate, and the music you hear now is Glossy by SkyGaze. You can find episodes of The Principal at www.MortgageNewsNetwork.com or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review so that others can find us. Thanks for listening.